Hallo, willkommen, Rachel, den X für euch dann. Sie sind fake Podcast. Ein Handy, Fersen, Anleih, Sonn, Leuch, Fis. Hallo, I'm Hayley Inch. You have to go there. Um, and I am a guest returning for a third time. Uh, my name is Eloise Ross. Thanks for having me. Is that Dr. Eloise Ross? Uh, I am a Dr. Eloise in, Ross. Doctor in yes. film noir and yes. sound theory? Yes, doctors in all of those things. Oh, God, so, I'm so glad you were here to say this for you guys. <laughs> yes, this, this is why we've had Eloise on, because she is just the bee's knees at all of this business that we're all about to talk about. Yeah. Well, it's lots of fun to talk about, so it's great to just come in here and be able to chat about things that I love with people that I love. Oh, that's so um, well, we you know, need In all... a really fun time and space. Yeah. Time and space being the key words. Yes. Because mm. we're going to need all the help we can get to get through part four. Yes. Which, as was uh, titled by Stan Australia, dot, 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 brings back some memories. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I, IMDB went with the more um, descriptive. Coop assumes the life of Dougie Jones as Gordon and agents Rosenfeld and Preston investigate the situation surrounding Coop's doppelganger. I think that gives him some... Um, undeserved agency in fact i don't think he's assuming anything he's yeah. just um being kind of coddled along isn't he mm. coddled along yeah good term i think that's accurate yes anyway so we open up with a uh, coop bankrupting mm. a casino as everyone should do <laughs> fuck the casino oh there goes our parental advisory board um, <laughs> i've ruined it every week i'm so sorry <laughs> you're doing well the first the first part we were totally clean and g-rated anyway mm, dang um, yeah, so every poker machine is emptying as Cooper walks shouting, around shouting hello at them. Yes. And it's a beautiful scene. Such so a beautiful nice. scene. And, and the older woman gambler has christened him Mr. Jackpots. Mm. And, oh, the, the little smile that he makes when the old lady wins and you kind of just get this little shadow of, you know, the pure soul that Coop is. Yeah, it's beautiful. And do you notice how many jackpots? How many mega jackpots? Oh, was it 30? It was eventually. The line is... So far, 29 mega jackpots. I'm dead, says the manager. And then he gives his 30th uh, to the woman. And mm. we all know the key. 30. Yeah. Well, no, 29 episodes of the 29. first. 29. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Anyway, could not let that go by unacknowledged. Thank you, Mr. Jackpots. Um, and so, and then we, we have the first encounter of Dougie. Oh, you know, with this, with this guy, um, Bill Shaker from Allied Chemicals, who walks up and recognises Dougie. And we get a bit of background into the life of this guy who until now we thought was just this shell that was being inhabited, essentially. Mm. So clearly he, even though he was manufactured, Dougie had a life. Yeah. He, he was doing things. He was presumably had people who, who loved him. And, yeah, yeah, so it kind of makes this whole this whole aspect even more creepier, mm. particularly when you see that everyone is kind of, yeah, just nudging Coop into to taking the now empty spot yes. of this shell. Yeah. Um, yes. Did, did everyone else have, like, a really emotional moment when Coop said home for the first time? Yeah. I was very upset. Mm. Yeah, it was really, yeah, it was really bizarrely poignant. Mm. It was. It shouldn't have been, in a way. It was like... But it's totally the way that <laughs> it's the way that um, you know Karl McLaughlin is enunciating these words. You know, it's just mm. really short. Um, you know, shortly rounded. You know, home. You know, in this really you know simple way of where you know he's not. He doesn't quite know how to say the word, and he doesn't quite comprehend what home is. Um, but he says it 
all the same. Yeah, he's um, learning fast. Yeah, and, and mm. he does seem to pick up on words that he can tell when other people say them to him, they must be important. Mm. And those are the ones that he tends to try and parrot back. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, he seems to know how to use them. He's just bringing them... Bring, like using all he can all the time, essentially. Mm. And yeah, yet yet again, this whole crazed rigmarole where every everyone who encounters him knows that something is wrong, but no one's really going out of their way to do anything mm. out of the ordinary in order to help him. And it kind of yeah really earmarks the fact that we're very non-interventionist as as a society. We, we end up in a society where harm just self perpetuates. Yeah, you know, there's there's characters who say you know oh this guy must have had a stroke or anything, but no one thinks at any point to like call an ambulance or call mm. the doctor or anything like that. They just they just let him go. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the first person who does have a conversation with him is the, well after Bill Bill Shaker is the the manager. And this was this was quite a dread filled scene where I was expecting they're gonna like kill him or something because yeah. he's just bankrupted this casino. But instead they have a they have this kind of weird conversation, and then give him a limousine. Yes. Ride home. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, they, and they're giving a sack of cash, which was kind of hilarious. It's almost like a Coen Brothers thing where you've got this like bag of loot that mm. somebody's walking around with or trying to get. <laughs> yeah, and you must try your luck with this again, day or night. Mm, we're watching you. Yeah, so um, So are other mm. beings. Mm. Yeah, and it's interesting when they finally do pull up to Dougie's house and then you hear the hoot of an yes. owl mm. almost immediately. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. So this is like another little mo- motif like Sycamore Court from the previous part and, mm. and the, the room key. The thing, these little things coming back bit by bit. Mm. And it's so great the way the Lynch is playing us with mm. these. Every time one of these comes along, it's a surprise and it's like a little welcome burst of nostalgia mm. or, or hope that we're going to yes. wind up there. Yes, but here's an even more important thing. Naomi Watts is here yeah. and she's slapping faces. Mm. <laughs> In um, number 25140, the street mm-hmm. address, I'm sure that's going to be important somehow. Sure. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and she and he missed Sonny Jim's birthday. Yes. Dougie's son. See, Dougie had a wife, he had a son. This mm. this was a person who, who existed in the world and now is... Trapped in a Magritte painting. <laughs> so I've got to point out that Joel Peacock on uh, a group that I'm on in on Facebook called Ronette's Bridge pointed out the the names of the family members of Dougie and how they spell who are which are Janie, Sunny Jim, and Dougie, and they make an anagram: my Annie, Judy, Josie, gone. Which is kind of weird, and I feel it kind of has to be. <laughs> done with some sort of knowledge. Yes, well, I I was unaware of this, but Andy did tell me off air that apparently Mark Frost is very into anagrams and wordplay. Yes, he loves burying things. So there's still a whole bunch of mysteries in his book, The Secret History of Twin Peaks, that people haven't haven't solved yet, and a whole bunch that people have, and I highly recommend mm. seeing if you can discover them yourself. Um, there are even pictures that if you look at through Dr. Jacoby's glasses will suddenly reveal extra layers. Oh, Something you just would never think course. to do unless you're a stu- stupid fan. <laughs> yeah, so it's beautiful in a way. Yeah. Uh, it's worth pointing out that their house is on Lancelot Court, which is another mm. Arthurian reference, along with Glastonbury Grove. Mm. Whatever it means. Whatever it means. There was a particular line, so we have this scene where where um, uh, Janie is confronting Coop, who she thinks to be Dougie, where have you been, what have you been doing, and then she finds the giant sack of cash. Yes. And there's this line she says where she says, there's enough here to pay them back, mm. which I thought was 
interesting because I think mm. we, we, we definitely get the impression that, you know, Dougie may not have been a bad guy, but he definitely wasn't. He was definitely up to shit. Oh, he, yeah. was, he was definitely involved probably in a lot of things that he shouldn't I have I get been. the feeling that he, he yeah. has probably, like, gone mm. AWOL for three days before. Yes. Because, yeah. um, you know, she seemed angry enough that she'd had been this angry before. Yeah. Mm. Also just his his general visual look when we saw him and definitely his costuming, you know, he comes across as a very kind of roustabouty, peacocky type of dude who probably, you know, loudmouths his way into <laughs> things. Seems like a you know, a slime ball. It's yeah, just absolutely. Yeah, he's a philanderer. Yeah. yeah. Um but it's also interesting that this whole scene takes place around, surrounded by children's balloons from this party and they mm. still save him a slice of cake. Yes. So, so this really weird mix of... It's this very strange mix of just sort of like, oh, okay, you know, he's he's probably up to a lot of no good, but he clearly does enough within his family that they still regard him with a lot of affection, mm. as it Yeah, seems. because she, you know, she changes her demeanour very quickly when she discovers this huge bag of cash. And, you know, she goes immediately, she's like, oh, well, we saved you some cake. You know, go and take mm. care of yourself. Go and sit down, which is a very quick shift. So that's yeah, yeah. And, and without asking any questions, exactly. At all. And as you'll see, like as as the episode goes on, like she she clearly does spend a lot of time taking care of him ordinarily. In that she's not really perplexed by the fact that Coop <laughs> isn't very responsive mm. and and is probably fronting extremely differently to the doggy that she actually knows. Mm, yeah. But she's she's just impulsively taking care of him and just making sure that. That, that he's he's doing what he should be doing and yeah. that sort of thing. It is the lot of the middle upper middle class white mm-hmm. American male. Seems. Um, and then we get a really interesting cut to the FBI headquarters, but this time we're not in Philadelphia. We get uh, Gordon Cole and a silverhead man called Bill Kennedy, played by Richard Chamberlain, who of Australian classic film The Last Wave, <laughs> um, who's uh, wearing a suit, and they ask where the where the chief of staff is, and she's in a meeting. And then did, did you get the ominous line, did you fix that thing with Martha? How good of you to remember? Which <laughs> 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 could mean almost anything. We'll probably never find out who Martha is, but it was a beautiful little nod. How's Paul? Paul is now the North Pole. Could be code, could be elect- he could be legitimately an Arctic explorer. We don't know. But I love this little, uh, this, these things that, go, the, the lines that David Lynch chooses to give himself. <laughs> and just yeah. like ridiculous non sequiturs half the yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then we get the, the amazing introduction to Denise Bryson, who we see has been doing really well for herself in the intervening 26 years. Mm, yeah, she's running shit. Exactly. Mm. She's she running shit. Mm. Um, I personally don't want to get too deeply into the character of Denise, as on a later episode we'll have Bismuth Hoban on as a guest who will be giving us a trans perspective to Twin Peaks, and particularly Denise. Basically, let's just say that I was expecting a lot worse with the reintroduction of Denise, but this whole thing was still not great, Bob. Mm, okay. Yeah, for me personally. Although, fix your hearts or die is a hell of a line. Yeah, that is good. Yeah, and I've got enough dirt on you to fill the Grand Canyon, I thought. Was, oh yeah, I like that one. That was a good one too. That yeah. Feels like it could come out of noir. Of a noir. <laughs> so after this interaction between uh, Cole and Bryson, we go back to the Sheriff's Station at Twin, in Twin Peaks, which is always a good place to be. <laughs> Meanwhile, at the Sheriff's Department, um... <laughs> Poor Lucy, who's just yeah. harassing Sheriff Cooper too about the thermostat on the phone. Yeah. And, yeah, it appears that Lucy is still grappling with the idea of phones that are mobile. Yeah, there is move. some... I really like this this part of the show where you see Lucy 
just not understanding mobile technolo- technology in any way or like yeah, technology yeah, yeah. that, you know, has any, you know, that thinks for itself, I suppose, is probably the way she would frame it. Yes. yes. Um, I <laughs> love it. It's, it's great. It just works mm. so well. Mm. It's very sweet in a way because it is very of her character to be this way. Mm-hmm. And it's also a little bit traumatising as well, I think. Like, particularly when I watched through it on a second time, you know, she's so distressed. She's yeah. so distressed that the sheriff just appears out of nowhere when she was just talking to him on the phone and thought that he was on a fishing trip. And I think that, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think it is a little bit an extension of what we spoke about in the last episode of kind of Lucy and Andy representing characters who, who are static and don't yeah, really move yeah. on. And kind of, this is what happens when you can't move on with the times you Mm. get terrified by phones (laughs) yeah it is really interesting um and there is a fascinating theory that i'm almost loath to share because i think it's so accurate that i feel like it may be a spoiler even though at the moment it's purely a theory that i've come across through friends and it's to do with lucy and andy and wally who appears in this episode as well Mm. yeah interesting yes should we talk about wally first before you get this theory yeah yeah Mm. Um, sure. So later in uh, later on in this episode, we get a very strange introduction to the child. So when the, when Michael Cera was announced uh, as being cast, I th- I thought, and a few other people tended to agree that th- he's going to make an amazing son. Uh, I really wish that we had recorded this and I didn't say this to Andy on a tram on the way home. <laughs> on the way home uh, from recording our first episode when we were talking about Michael Sarah and I said, oh, you know, I would love it if he showed up as Andy and Lucy's son, yeah, but yeah. I don't know if the timelines would work out, blah, 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 blah. Maybe it's too obvious. But no, we have been gifted with yeah. this. We yeah. are blessed. It was hard to bite my tongue when you were saying that because I was like, oh, God. <laughs> uh, yes, because Andy had watched ahead by that time and I had uh, not. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so let's skip ahead a little bit because, yeah, there's some other things that happen, but I think it is very important to talk about Wally mm. Brando right now. <laughs> I, I, look, I'm not a big fan of Michael Sarah, but of all of the people who are currently famous in the world, I feel like he is the perfect one to play Andy and Lucy's yeah it was it was it's just it makes it makes so much sense but he's not doing the regular Michael Sarah thing in this role of Wally Brando he's just you know really really obtuse and intensely weird yeah Mm. he's so weird and like it's just, I don't know, trying to affect some kind of cool, maybe. Mm. Obviously, you know, he thinks he's some kind of descendant or, you know, kin of, <laughs> of Marlon. Yes. Um, shall we say. But, yeah, he, he was not doing the regular Michael Sarah thing. And I, I did like it, I have to say. Mm. Yes. Um, yeah. But um, also, I hope he doesn't come back because so, <laughs> I, you know, I didn't like it that it, much. It's anyway. almost too much. And, yeah, it's, it's really interesting how, again, slow pace these sequences are. Like... Sarah says lines and then it's like all of the other actors was told to like no don't react just let the line happen and then he will come up with another one after a couple of beats and that sort of thing it's very it's very uncanny in a very funny way and look I've I've seen some critics complain about Sarah's imitation of Brando Mm. saying that it's like oh it's way off he's not even doing a good Brando and I'm just like 
isn't that the point? Mm. Isn't the point that he's like fleeing back this kind of like broken mirror, refracted idea of what Brando is that only barely touches on like a few cultural points? And like, honestly, are you telling me that Andy and Lucy could raise someone who could do a bang on <laughs> smouldering Brando impression? Get out of here. Yeah. It's, yeah, exactly. It's, pretty... it's Michael Sarah. Like, A, it's Michael Sarah, and he mm. couldn't. <laughs> B, I don't know. This, like, like obviously, Marlon Brando is an icon, but he he's not like James Dean in that he only had three roles and that he could be, you know, that he had, you know, kind of more of an isolated image that people wanted to mimic in a way. You know, Marlon Brando was around for decades, mm. and, and he doesn't... I mean, obviously, you know, it's the wild one that mm. he's doing, but... He, he's not as imitable as yeah. the, the others are. I'm kind um, of hoping if the Wally Brando does come back as a character, every single scene he has, he's a different Brando. Yeah. <laughs> that, would, that would really tickle me on several levels. <laughs> yeah, I thought, it was, I thought it was really interesting. It really took me by surprise because so many people have the... He's like such a fantastic actor to do that because everyone has their idea of, oh, I know Michael Sierra, I don't know what he's going to be like. There was a beautiful description of him in the monthly describing him as uh, Brando via Kenneth Anger. Because there is like a, it's just a hint of that sexuality there as well. Yeah, yeah. Was, was that the Luke Goodsell monthly? Yeah. Was the Luke Goodsell one? Yeah. Not a fan? Oh, no, I thought that that article was fine. I can't, I can't quite see it yet, yeah, you okay. know, the Kenneth Anger thing. Okay, do you want me to tell you this uh, theory? Yes. Okay, yes, so if you this may be as a spoiler, and if you'd rather avoid it, please but give ahead a few minutes. you don't know, Andy. No, I don't, but I think I'll, I'll, let you, I'll, I'll explain. <laughs> so this is um, a theory from a, a Reddit user called CH Blank. Michael Sears Wally Brando was both hilarious and sad at the same time. Why sad? Well, because I don't think that he is the real Wally. I think Aunt Lucy and Andy's son died young and it put them in a psychological state of shock where everything needs to remain unchanged for them, a chronic state of denial. I think many years ago, Frank Truman hired the young man who is slash was a wannabe theatre actor to play their son in order to help them cope. I think he promised his brother Harry he would take care of them and this is his way of doing it. Truman called the false Wally to return when he heard Lucy and Andy talking about finally converting Wally's room into a place for the two of them. He wanted the false Wally to convince them to do so in the hope that they will start to move on and snap back to reality in some way. The evidence. Lucy is still wearing the same clothing and hairstyle. When confronted with technology that doesn't fit into her mental time frame, it is enough of a shock to make her pass out. On this note, note the truly technologically advanced call-in and dispatch station is kind of hidden in the back and operated by a different woman. I think they've changed over to a more advanced heating system too, but left the thermostat knob there for her, which is why the heating isn't corresponding with the thermostat when they're not in the building. Lucy asks which Sheriff Truman, which confuses the insurance guy, because to her there are still two, but to everyone else there has only been one for a long time now. They don't often see or hear from their son. This is justified by the story of him riding around the country on his bike, but he really is dead. When Truman hears Wally is there, he says, good boy, because he recalled on them to help with this, and he came to tell them about the room as requested. The only picture we see of Lucy and Andy and Wally together is when he's a young boy. No recent pics on her desk. Over-the-top clothing and speech is because of the direction Truman originally gave the actor mixed with the name of his character. This is also why Truman was trying to respond like everything was happening and being said was normal and to play along even though he was ob obviously uncomfortable. That's a hell of a theory. It is, isn't it? Yeah, it's nuts. But it's also kind of like, wow, yeah, it does tie in a lot of things and it would kind of be the sort of thing Lynch would want to do. Yes, uh, I agree. I, I feel like that kind of explanation is not necessary to the number of factors giving mm. evidence to the theory. Does that make sense? Yeah, that because sense. Lynch could obviously come up with oh, yeah, he anything need any the heck he wanted to. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm also intrinsically just suspicious of 
they were dead all along theories because I feel like, you know, fandoms in general like trying to find these sort of explanations for things. God knows why. And, yeah, I'm generally a little bit distrustful of them. Mm -hmm. Like, look, if that turns out that that's legit, look, it's it's linear in a way that makes sense for Lynch and, and... and frost and that sort of thing, but I think it's it might be a little too easy. Yeah. I think there's enough in the characters of Andy and Lucy to suggest that well that you wouldn't need to come up with something like that. That they're going to be as kooky still um, mm-hmm. as they were back then, and the, you know in these number of ways. Yeah, because I kind of re- react against it. I'm like, no, you don't touch that. Lucy and Andy. They're not the ones with the dark sides that you need to give them pain and horror. But maybe they are. Just go through. Oh, they're the last ones. Everyone else has suffered so much. (laughs) He's leaving them alone. Anyway, we have to backpedal a bit. Backpedal, backpedal, backpedal. Because we're still in the sheriff's office. We have met Sheriff Truman, who's played by Robert Forster. Yeah. Mm. Not the go-betweens. Not the go-betweens. Yeah, so now we we get an introduction to this new high-tech control room, which I actually laughed out loud at the screen Mm. when I saw this. I was like, what are we doing in NCIS or some sort of show? (laughs) What the hell? What's it, computers? No. Crappy backward NCIS. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, that too. But I also felt like, well, this alone justified that original section, which was about technology and like, what's mm. happening with modern technology, because I was wondering how Twin Peaks was going to deal with it before it began. But yeah. no, it's just given to us oh, straight up in yeah. one big hit. Mm. This very efficient woman gives Truman the lowdown on what's been happening and finishes by mentioning an over- overdose in a classroom at the high school. Mm. Truman walks down the corridor and calls out to the deputy. <gasps> bum, bum, it's so good, everyone. So great. Reveal. Best reveal. Best reveal. He has aged mighty oh, yeah. fine. Those cheekbones just get better. And that hair. Just that, mm. you know, I just love all of these men that I was, you know, semi in love with in the 90s that are like now of this particular age where they just have grey flecked hair. It's Glorious silver fox. Yeah. So yeah. Doesn't feel great. the need to dye it. Just... This is how I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was actually quite pleased by by Bobby's reappearance and in such an interesting and unexpected way. He was definitely one of those characters that I really loved to hate during Mm. the first seasons because he was just just that terrible, self-important, you know, jock teenager who just makes things a nightmare for everyone around him because he can't contemplate that other people actually have feelings Mm, aside from himself. There was always these occasional moments of actual self-reflection and self-realisation where he'd be like, oh, I am a giant arsehole (laughs) and I've been really horrible to people. And it's actually really nice to see that Bobby's been living a life and making choices and ending up somewhere where maybe few of us would have guessed he would have ended up. And I definitely really love it when dirtbag teens scrub up into very, very different (laughs) adults. And look, who knows? He may be up to nefarious business. We don't know yet. But I find it's interesting in Lynch's world, law enforcement figures are generally pretty much always on the side of moral good. Mm, I have a feeling that now we know he's got a, a history uh, where he's going to be tempted at some point. And it's mm. going to be like, oh, he's probably going to go back to being his bad, bad old self. Yeah. Like, I, Ooh, I to... didn't expect, I didn't think that, but I mean, mm. it's possible. Well, I would just love to have seen the line where he's like, Shelley, I got this, I'll figure it out. I'm going to be a policeman. <laughs> like, because he's done every other thing. He's yeah, like, yeah, said yeah. that line so many yeah. times. Although, I'm imagining this is because, and I think this is one of those things like, I, I don't know if it's ever been mentioned in anywhere outside of the movie in any other Twin Peaks content, 
are we all just forgetting that fact that he murdered that drug dealer in Firewalk <laughs> with me? Did everyone just forget about that? Yeah, I guess they did. Yeah. Whoops. <laughs> Whoops. Um, but I love, obviously, yeah, going back to those moments of, like, Bobby occasionally having realisations that he's a, was a massive shit. Yeah. Um, you know, when he, he has that conversation at the diner with... Major Briggs about his, Major Briggs's dream, and then he starts to cry, and he's like, "Dad, what do you actually do?" And he's like, "It's highly classified. I can't." But you know, it's that moment mm. of realizing that he, in fact, does not know. I just love. Obviously, I mentioned this in an earlier episode, but I love the crying. Yes, crying. He does it so well. Just, so, and then he cries for so long, mm. and it's so, and it's so unexpected for him, and obviously for us as well to just be yeah. like, "What? He actually gave a shit." That was. It's really key. Mm. And just to be like, well, you know, obviously this is something that the town mm. has not forgotten. Has not forgotten and probably... Least. And not, not really dealt and with. And not processed. Yeah. And not processed it was at all. never, I guess, the whole thing was never solved. Yeah. And then yeah. Agent Cooper also disappeared. Bobby says he left town. So they're all feeling like he he deserted them in some yeah. way. Yeah. Mm. left them all exactly. alone. Well, and of course his father's died too. Bobby's father's yeah. died. So I think that might have been a turning point for him. Yeah. And, and, and I think the revelation when, when Bobby is talking about Major Briggs's death and how it coincided the day after that... Apparently, Coop was the last of Coop yeah. inverted commas was the last person to mm. see him. I think we can basically infer from this that yes, Doppel Coop made his way out of the Black Lodge and murdered Major Briggs on the way out. Well, mm. uh, well, actually, this scene is talked about in the very, very final pages of the Secret History of Twin Peaks, mm. which Lynch promised he would had no, he wouldn't even open or refer to. But I think Frost must be in charge of this part of the story because mm. Major Briggs does write a, a, no, a document that is found in the book, which is all about how Cooper is about to come and visit him, and he's been getting he's been doing a lot of work recently, and mm. there's some very, very important information that he's got to give. So it's all built up to in a big cliffhanger. Um, so yeah, I think yeah, pretty much right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also, I think it's interesting that Bobby's keeping an eye on the drug trafficking routes over the Canadian border and it's mm. Chinese drug designer drugs and again. wouldn't let yeah. anything escape from his gaze <laughs> yeah mm. um, you know he's doing his job Yes. Yeah, yes. Um, so anyway, we, we've already talked about Wally Brando. So let us skip over again to a scene where Coop is contemplating a sports blazer. <laughs> yeah, but it's green. <laughs> yes, we're back in Rancho Rosa, I think, aren't we? Yes. Yeah, and he looks very confused by clothes. Yes. He's some... Clo- closer, confusing, and he becomes even more confused when. His armchair ripples and then all of a sudden it's the lodge coming into contact Mm. with him. And the one-armed man who says, you were tricked, now one of you must die. And Mm. of course, it's that old thing of, oh, if you've got an evil doppelganger, the two of you can't exist on the same plane. Yeah, standard. Standard. It's a good rule. Yeah. Yeah. And And then he learns to urinate. He does. Well, look, pissing would be terrifying if you hadn't done it in 25 years. I was actually expecting that, like, something spiritual was coming out of us. (laughs) You know, rather than just the simple pleasure of. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to make the easy joke there. I'm not going to make the easy <laughs> no, joke. No, I'm not going to be a dirtbag. I'll do it on Twitter later. It's beautiful. Uh, please. Please. Very <laughs> on Twitter later. And yeah. then he. Mirror. Discovers the mirror. Yes. It's really eerie, isn't it? Yes. Of him just, not of him just oh touching his reflection. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we all go back to episode 29. Yeah. Also, that just discovering that the mirror phase or whatever, I don't mm. think it's all wanky here. No. But, no you know, this idea of realizing that he realizes he's actually a person and that he, he realizes who Dougie Jones is and 
he realizes, you know, he says home again, I think, later that mm. day, doesn't he? Anyway, yeah. so he's like he's learning these concepts now. Yeah, it's like but gorgeous I, and naive and yeah. so scary. I felt yeah. like, yeah, when he taps the mirror, he's there's something in there that he's like, this is a really important thing. Something mm. happened in the mirror one time. Mm. Yeah. What is it? You know, in the same way that he can recognize that, you know, certain words are key and, yeah. and mm. stuff like that. So... Oh, yeah. yeah. It's oh. glorious. And then little Sunny Jim comes out and gives him a we get, thumbs up. Yeah. Oh, and we get yeah. another little motif. Yeah. That mm. kid was great. Isn't by he? The way. Yeah. Very good. Didn't say anything yeah. the whole time. I was yeah. like, mm. well, when is this kid going to talk? Oh, well, maybe he can't. His know. name is Pierce Gagnon. Ah, oh, wonderful. Yeah, Excellent. I thought that was worth saying. Um, yeah. And who can ever hear Take Five by Dave Brubeck? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Such a weird choice. Yeah, it's so strange. Because because it's so iconic and overused a lot as well, and now all of a sudden it's paired with possibly one of the most gloriously joyful sequences (laughs) I've ever seen. Here's your coffee. Coffee. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! And then this twinkle of recognition, and then of course spits it up because of course if you're drinking coffee for the first time in 25 years, that's a yeah. Also, it's really hot, hot. and it's black. And hot. T- it's like black and tar. black. It's so yeah, when it comes out of his mouth. Yeah. Oh my god, that face. Yeah. And the, and the in the background. Forty Emmys. Forty yeah. Emmys. And, and as he leans forward, he, his head reveals in the background a big an owl-shaped canister of cookies. Oh, I didn't notice. Well, yeah. No, I did not notice that. that was pretty Amazing. Cool. Oh man, yeah. So I love this sequence. Really, really interesting. Yeah. Also, I feel like the whole role of like a blonde haired woman making breakfast for her husband feels like a sort of nineteen fifties thing. Does that? Even, I don't even know if that happens anymore. Does it? I guess not it for anyone I know. No, no. Maybe it happens in suburb, suburban Vegas. Yeah, true. Mm. It might happen in suburban Vegas, but it feels like we're in another time altogether. Well, I mean, it sure does. And also it recalls, you know, Betty and her ideal um, life of the ideal housewife in the ideal, you know, successful career, whether that be being a famous actor or being a housewife um, from Mulholland Drive, Mm. you know, Mm. returning to that and that whole dream and that whole, like, idea of suburban perfection. Um, Yeah, so that's probably one of the most amazing scenes, I think, so far, the Mm. coffee coming out of his mouth thing, because... We're being bombarded now. Like the the, the pace is increasing that these references are coming, and so we, mm. I feel like it's all leading him back to Twin Peaks at some point. But before then, we cut back to the FBI headquarters, and then we begin a whole very fascinating sequence of Albert and Cole. We're not anywhere near Mount Rushmore. <laughs> <laughs> Here, I bought a picture for you. <laughs> <laughs> Cossacks are in Russia. <laughs> also, please, if this is not being done already, I call on you, Peaky Hive Mind. Can someone please gif for me Albert yelling Cossack at Gordon because I need to look at it lovingly every day and for it to cleanse my soul. Please do this for me. Got up on the wrong side of bed, Albert. <laughs> that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's oh, one of I the love them. glorious love house. Them. Yeah, car ride from the airport to Yankton. 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 Thank you, Yankton. Yes. Um, when when that was all initially that you know they're going to visit Cooper in prison, I, I thought maybe we were going back to Bill Hastings, and that in fact Bill Hastings had had given a wrong name or somehow been connected. Anyway, I mean that mm. obviously yeah. doesn't turn out to be the case because we had no idea mm. that Doppelcoop was was in prison and. Mm. No, it's, yeah, really, yeah, definitely true. And I'm really yeah, and they're still lingering around in the background. That's yeah. such a good mystery. What have we got? And then prison official Warden Murphy, car ran off the road. He was throwing up some type of poison. Exposure to it sent one of our men to hospital. Here's what we found in his trunk. And then there's a long, slow panning shot of cocaine, a machine gun, and a dog. <laughs> and leg. a dog yeah. leg. <laughs> <laughs> no cheese and crackers. Oh, Albert, bless you. 
Yeah, there you so go. great. And then uh, Cooper's mugshot. Cole's uh, first introduced to his friend of our image. This scene is possibly, yeah, this is one of the creepiest. And strongest. And strongest things I've ever seen. Like, even just the initial thumbs up from Doppelcoop, mm. and you just want to scream, it's wrong, get it away from me. Like, yeah. full body revulsion. What did you make of the sound design in this scene? Because I found this absolutely amazing. I don't even think that's McLaughlin's voice. I can't recall it. Ah, it's so cool. What um, does he say? He's speaking, but he's speaking through a communication a speaker, yeah. through a window. Right. And it's yeah. weirdly amplified and fuzzy and really ominous. Yeah, like, it's there's very this bassy, real bassy, like, twang of dread in kind of everything mm. that he says that makes because the lines that he's saying are actually very innocuous, but it comes across as just. It, yeah, I mean, it's absolutely chilling. Mm. I mean, there's this whole really interesting thing with, you know, obviously Lynch does it, playing with people's voices, but, you know, creating this this space, you know, this, this hum, uh, a hum produces a lot of anxiety and a lot of fear yeah. and a lot of, you know, like dissociation. We don't know, is this voice now, is this another disembodied voice coming from somewhere? Is it the voice yeah. of someone who's died? Is it a voice, is he... I don't know, is he stealing words from regular Coop and somehow, mm. like, or like from someone else and, and mm. or channeling them through? Because you can tell from um, his speech patterns and also the fact that he keeps repeating certain lines over and over again. Like, Doppelcoop, despite living amongst humanity for like 25 years, he still hasn't quite figured out proper conversational patterns. Yeah. So he's mm. just kind of throwing information at the agents and particularly yeah. Gordon and just waiting to see what will stick, just waiting to see what they will actually respond to. And I think it's very, very telling that Gordon's the one who continue, who keeps conversation moving and keeps asking questions. Because he's so bad at conversation. Because he's bad at conversation anyway. And I think because he's trying to just grasp what's going on, well, I think it's also, but, but yeah. Albert keeps silent. Yeah, because so I, I feel like Albert knows from the get go that this isn't that right. This is yeah, not him. because yeah. Double Coop is so used to manipulating people through what they want and what they desire, mm. and when he comes up against these three, he's he's thrown. He can't. So the only thing he's got mm. going for him is that he said, "I've been working undercover with our colleague Philip Jeffries. I need to be debriefed about oh, this." Oh right, yeah. And yeah, he's got yeah, this, yeah, so he's, he's so saying he's got yeah. information that he was on his way to share with Cole mm. when the car veered off the road. So this is, I think, the one thing that he thinks Cole would want is some information about this. But, to know where he's been. Yes, but mm. obviously Albert is the one who knows that it, it's not possible. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, mm. exactly. So, th yeah, this is just oh, such a brilliant scene. Um, Gordon, when are you going to get me out of here? I've never really left home, Gordon. See you soon, old friend. <laughs> yeah, so, glorious. But it's okay. Gordon's wire-tapped everything. Yeah. <laughs> he's wire-tapped everything. But also they can only hold him for two more days. So they they're can. Have to so they need to find out very, very soon. So. Um, and that, love that line. Murphy, I expect you to give, me, give him his private phone call and tell me all about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and then we go out into the But car. who is he going to call? Who is he going to call? That is I, the I question. I imagine it's Philip Jeffries. Okay. Yeah. Or, or who Philip is Jeffries. claiming to be Philip yeah. Jeffries. I was kind of hoping that he might call Lucy or something. That'd be cool. Mm. Yeah. Then we go out into the car park with Gordon and Albert, and I really love the muted blues mm. oh. in this chat here. It's kind of like that that glow of the desert, but they've lit it in this very peculiar way that kind of makes the landscape crowd in, mm. in a way. Yeah, yeah, it was so muted. So, yeah. yeah, really muted, so, yeah. and like Gordon's turned his 
turned his hearing aids all the way up and they're just they're just whispering they're just whispering so that no one will hear them but gordon will get everything and the feet again when Mm. albert wipes his feet on the bitumen and it's too loud i love that obviously you know it's just the you know the feet with laura palmer it's the shoes not going through the intergalactic space machine or whatever you called it. Inter- intergalactic interdimensional fax machine. Fax yeah. machine. Yeah. yeah, you know, this this whole idea of shoes being some, something foreign, something unwelcome. Yeah. That's just... That's such a brilliant touch, yeah. yeah but nice we did skip over the bit where Tammy is sent away and then Albert makes a bizarrely sexist comment that seems out of character for him. Mm-hmm. Albert is the most outrageous bisexual on this show, though. Like, you have for... to realise this. Yeah. Mm. Yep. But yeah. I think maybe Albert just wants to be number one he doesn't maybe he doesn't want a threat or yeah and tammy doesn't say much and so perhaps he doesn't quite know like he can't call her an idiot because she doesn't say much yeah he so wouldn't... he has to go for her appearance yeah well she's not she's she's really smart she's really really capable mm. she's a very good detective yeah mm. so maybe and that's that's it. Yeah. yeah and we do know that albert on occasion does go for these low blows in order to just make people go away yeah <laughs> so yes he he has rep here i would like to see her doing more i was really hoping that she would be more of a cooper-esque character mm. well i think she would I, i'm really interested to see her progression in the series because obviously she's she's considered with a lot of weight by Mark Frost considering he's written an entire book from her perspective Mm -hmm. I think also when it comes to Tammy you've also just got to remember Gordon's a massive perv and and people are going to play on that you know, people people are going to assume that she's in a room because Gordon can't control himself. Yeah. So. Fair enough. <laughs> yes. Um, but then we get this ama- amazing line, blue rose, it doesn't get any bluer. Yes. And this was after <sighs> Albert also re- reveals that he gave out classified information to Philip Jeffries because Jeffries had told him that Coop was in trouble. Mm. And... Albert's, like, low-key but very poorly hidden regard for Coop is one of my favourite, like, mm. little character mm. things out of, out of like, the whole series. Yeah. Of course, Albert would have only given away information because it was Coop who was in trouble and might have needed it. Yeah, yeah, and then Amanda... And then Gordon it. kind of understands that as well. Understands while also being... Yeah, very like, shocked. Unimpressed. Yeah, unimpressed. But yeah, but then yeah. Gordon was the one that sent Albert to Twin Peaks to look after Coop in the first place. So. This is true. Yeah. So it's kind, kind of it's kind of like a line of a line of guilt progression. Yeah, almost like a father son thing, maybe. Mm. And or then, of course, we have the amazing Our hint oh, sorry. at the end where uh, Albert is going to go find someone, mm. someone who is a she who will absolutely know whether Coop is Coop. And who is it? Oh. Is it Audrey? Is it... Um... Is it Diane? <gasps> yeah. And, and, and that, would that be... Would Laura that be Dan? Laura Dern? Is she going to turn out? Because I must admit, I always felt... All through my viewings of the original series, I desperately never wanted Diane to be revealed. (laughs) I just wanted her to be this beautiful enigma. enigma. (laughs) And I was really trepidatious coming into this, this... this new season going, oh, are they going to give away who Diane is? Is it going to be disappointing? Blah, 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 blah. I feel like the only way I could accept this is if Diane is Laura Dern. Yeah. I yeah. kind of agree. I mean, there's this whole, and I don't know how widespread this is, Andy, so please, uh, you know, enlighten me if you can. But this whole idea that Diane is, in fact, just 
the name of his tape recorder and not actually a real person and that he simply just gives it a name because he wants to feel familiar when he's away, you know, from all familiarity. And so, you know, perhaps it never was a real person, but then perhaps it is Laura Dern, perhaps Laura Dern is someone else and there is no Diane still. Well, well, that's weird because in one of the missing pieces scenes, a scene Mm. deleted from Firewalk With Me, Cooper is doing this sort of, aerobic exercises in a doorway talking to Diane right who's, out of, who's, who's inside the room that you can't see oh okay so I that... was I was reading uh, Michelle Shion's book on David Lynch and he says that no one else ever references Diane no one talks about her mm-hmm. no, in, in all of these other FBI meetings no one seems to be aware that there is anyone you know that, or that he has any secretary of any kind um, well yeah this is in just before the David Bowie turns up in the elevator scene that this mm. scene was taken from the movie right so but it also you, since you never see her he could be talking to himself he could be doing <laughs> he you know, could any, be, yeah. any number of weird coop things so it doesn't mm. really confirm that she's real but then there have been rumours around this Laura Dernie's day. But all will be revealed very shortly. And then the final scene, we get... It's, it's this late show with David Lynch again. Late show with David Lynch! Starring Au Revoir Simone. Simone. Welcome to the stage. Yeah. Yeah, such a beautiful song. Another mm. one, yeah. I'm kind of liking these songs as kind of like a decompression moment, apart from the chromatic song that ended part two, because mm. I just got extremely emotional during that one. But these other songs have been kind of these really good moments where you can kind of just breathe out. Just mm. breathe out and just then have a moment of calm before yeah. you start madly thinking about everything that you just saw. Mm. Twin Peaks is still there. It still exists. People are still having fun at the Roadhouse. It's, yeah. it's all good. Yeah, there is that. Although I do feel like they're robbing music time from Adela Bellamenti. And it's not just I want to hear the old music. I think he's mm. fantastically skilled and interesting composer and he's really mm. underappreciated and I want to hear him mm. do more stuff. Yeah, the bit when... Um, Bobby walked into the conference room and saw Laura's photo and Laura Palmer's theme kicked mm. right in. That that had my heart in my throat and I was just like, wow, ooh, you know. It, it, it doesn't have to be overplayed, but having more instances of the original music or new mm. Bagliamenti yeah. music would be really welcome at this stage. Well, mm. that's true, but I also think that, uh, you know, finishing the episodes on this on these songs and these performances, they do really nicely tie because, you know, we're traveling to different cities each episode. They tie everything back to Twin Peaks, which is essentially the core of the show. Bring us back to Twin Peaks itself. You know, this location that we're all, we're all familiar with that so much has happened in and that, you know, we know that it is still going to be a really key part. Not only that, you know, so thinking about a location as being this really important way to get into the show, but also, you know, I mean, we mentioned this before, like lyrics are really key and that, but as you said, Hayley, the lyrics for part two were from the chromatics were key in some Mm. ways. And Mm. so, you know, I love what lyrics can say uh, in about, about a, a show or a film as well. Yeah. And I think Lynch considers it, with, considers it with importance as well, considering he, he is in a lot of ways a songwriter. He wrote a lot of Julie, or co-wrote a lot of Julie Cruz's songs for her, yeah. the original mm. series, and he clearly places a lot of importance on the type of music that accompanies a, a, a show or a film. Mm. And also, I feel like this is like his grand grand sandbox in a way he wants to be around everybody he's ever liked and he's worked with pretty much all these bands in some way he did a film clip for Hour of Simone Krista Bell you know was, he works with her quite a lot now he's, she's Tammy Preston so I think he just loves having these people around he's like oh I want, I want Laura around so I'll, get, I'll cast Laura in something so 
you know, he's worked, you know, with the chromatics, he knows all these guys. I think I wouldn't be surprised, you know, if, if Julie Christ maybe turns up in the last part. That would be great. Just a couple of parts. Yeah, a couple of parts would be good. I'd, I'd love some new tunes from her. Same. Yeah, yeah. Of course, she couldn't say anything about it when we were chatting at the festival. Yes, but yes. But I have a feeling we're going to see some her at some point. I love it when you drop who you met at the Twin Peaks oh, Festival, God, so It makes exciting. me so happy. <laughs> <laughs> I was setting up my TV to watch the finale of a show called Twin Peaks. It's Twin Peaks and it's very in. I panic and change the subject to the Twin Peaks reboot till she gets bored. I mean, she totally gave up on Twin Peaks. It's to David Lynch. I don't like the Twin Peaks experience. Brilliant. <laughs> I have absolutely no idea what's going on. That's Lynchian. <laughs> Well, you gotta um, go. Can we make a game show, please? Where, <laughs> yeah, where we all just where press buzzers. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. like that's Lynchian. I would say Blue Rose for this episode. Good it, call. it became, you know, obviously we had mentioned by the disembodied floating head of Major Briggs in yeah. part three, but I feel like Blue Rose kind of centered itself as something that was going to be hmm. very pointed and very important when it came up between Gordon and Albert. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Good call. Um, my my lynching moment was uh, the blackness of the coffee coming out of Cooper's mouth. <laughs> the way it lingered like tar almost. Like oh. it reminded me of that of that scene of the broken dishes towards the end of the second season where mm. we used to get a close up on some coffee falling out of a mug, but it's like syrup. Oh, just yeah. that. Just so it was. I don't even. I don't. I don't think it was anything that wasn't like li- proper liquid, but it just the way they lingered on it. Oh, and it so just powerful. kind of coated poor poor Carl's mouth. Yeah. In just this film of coffee. We did tie over his head. Yeah. Mm. It was great. What's mine? Maybe the red door. Uh, uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know Dougie's house with the red door. Oh, There's just mm. something about a red door. Obviously, red is key, and doors uh, have, have essential in like symbolism of films and history and literature and all of that. So, anyway, red door. Yeah, no, that's cool. With a number next to it. Mm. <laughs> Amazing. Um, any sound moments for you? I think for me it was definitely the ominousnessnessness of um, the sequence of the conversation between Doppelkoop and Gordon and Albert and uh, Tammy, Tammy mm-hmm. which was just, oh, this this overwhelming sense of, I feel like sound in Lynch is often used to, like, oppress you in, in a bodily fashion where you mm. feel like it's pressing down on you and constricting you and that makes you panic a lot more about the visuals that you're actually seeing. So I feel like I was a lot more unnerved during that scene than I ordinarily would have been and I think I would have been pretty unnerved yeah. to start mm. with just from the power of the performances that were going on. But I think the sound enormously contributed to it. Mm. Mm. I'm going to go for the incredible viscosity of the sound of the coffee. Yeah, You, you yeah, talked yeah. about Andy. But, yeah. you know, dripping on that, you know, lino or whatever horrific floor is mm. in that suburban Vegas home. Yeah. Um, and, you know, <laughs> like everything, it's spitting, you know, the get the sound he makes um, and just how it, yeah, it continues to drip. I... 
yeah, love mm. it. Yeah, same. Yeah, um, so key. I love the, the gravel scene that you spoke about with Under the Fat was yeah, really great, yeah. but I also love the, cr- the sound of Bobby crying. <gasps> Nobody does yeah, it like, yeah. like him. It's, Dana yeah. Ashbrook is yeah. just like, he's As, he, he is who you want in if you need anyone I'm to cry about him. he hasn't had more work in the last couple of decades. Oh, yeah. like, he's so great. He's I great. I, I, and I love how that crying moment actually, like you, you've seen him in, in his adult world and it seems like he's a person treated with respect and mm. and is is seen as a very yeah. upstanding figure. And then he sees that photo and he breaks down and it's like he's the broken teenage boy who who is still in pieces, yeah. essentially. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've already talked about your use of colour. You like the red on the door. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Do any other colours? Any favourite colour moments? Oh, any favourite colour moments? Um... Can I talk about the blackness of the coffee again? (laughs) It's very important. It's very important. Um, I obviously I already mentioned the blue in in the 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 very muted claustrophobic desert Mm. blues of of the the outside the jail sequence. And also Andy mentioned earlier, but I really like all of the green that's being referenced specifically between peaks. It's jumping out when it does turn up. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the, the mustard coat is just so. Oh it's, I'm still feel a bit injured in the face from that, <laughs> that scene where he puts that on and walks around. It, I'm, it's just such a weird common thing because it is like a really, really, really Twin Peaks colour from mm-hmm. the first season. It's the sort of thing you would have seen and not questioned in the background, like mm-hmm. Dick, yeah, one yeah, of Dick yeah. Tremaine's coats or something like that. Oh my god, yes. Yeah. That's that's exactly. Dougie is a through line to Dick Tremaine. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> And finally, throwbacks. Did anybody notice anything that took them straight back to earliest Lynchian works? Well, throwbacks. Naomi Watts. Yeah. Just, yeah. just a joy upon my heart. And mm. I think seeing her in, in a Lynch context is great. Like, I've, I've spoken... I think previously before about how I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm hot and cold with Lynch's film works, but I probably do like Mulholland Drive the best. Yeah. And Naomi Watts' performance in that is just like, oh, it's just, it's just off tap, honestly. (laughs) And just to see her in that kind of similar frame of someone ostensibly normal trying to exist in an extremely abnormal situation is, is really bloody delightful. Yeah. Yeah, I love the the regular use of um of Cooper throwbacks, the mm. way that we dropped like cookie crumbs on a trail, mm-hmm. like, leading us back to Twin Peaks. Yeah, call for help. Call for help. Yeah. <laughs> um, thanks very much for making it to the end of uh, part four discussion. Um, you can get in touch with us at TP Season Three on Facebook or Twitter, or TP Season Three at gmail.com. There we go. I would also like to thank Eloise Ross for getting through this marathon guesting yeah, session. She's nice been work. on our past three episodes. I really hope you've all enjoyed hearing her insights. She's bloody fabulous, and we really just want to hog her for as long as possible. Yeah, thanks, thanks so much for Andy. making the time. Thanks, Andy. It was so much fun. And the good thing is, you can actually also listen to Andy and Eloise on the Cultural Capital podcast along with Anders Furs. Harass Andy for those details. The Cold Cap pod, we're everywhere and we review movies that come out as they come out in Melbourne and sometimes we review movies in Melbourne. It's yes. set in Melbourne, sorry. We do. Anyway, thanks for listening yeah. uh, and I look forward to talking about Twin Peaks with everyone I meet in mm. the next 14 weeks. Yes. <laughs>